would like you this morning to, as you're sitting here, look back and think of how you got here. Sit in that seat this morning and, and think, think back on your life on how you got to where you are today. For me, I, I think of these last three years have been full of excitement and, and challenge and encouragement. Now, three years ago, I was a scared newlywed. I didn't know how I was going to do this marriage thing. I had a wonderful wife who was beyond gracious and loving to me, and I was just figuring things out, trying to figure things out as a newlywed. Two years ago, we were in the southern part of the United States, and I had no clue how to function. I was starting, we were in, I think we are in Virginia or North Carolina, and I had never been to those places before, and I was just, for a guy who was out of his comfort zone and, and is struggling. A year ago, we had just heard about this opportunity, and we were making our way up here for just a filling the pulpit visit. And we didn't know how this was going to go. Uh, we had had contact with churches before, and some opportunities had come up, and this was the one that was just seemed to be, okay, let's see how this will fit. And we didn't know how things were going to go. But as I look upon the last three years of my life, I can tell you for certain how effectively God has worked to bring me to this point. And he has worked in ways that I couldn't even fathom. He has, he has put me in uncomfortable positions for a purpose. He has left me in situations where it was hard, and I was left questioning him in the moment. But he did so for a purpose. And in those hard, joyous, struggling moments, God worked mightily in my life. And perhaps you can say the same thing, maybe even looking upon this last year, how God has worked. And the result is a much better result than you could have ever imagined. Well, this morning we find here in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, an example of the life of Paul, who gives us this glimpse into his life and, and tells us how he got to where he is currently. And the reflection of his life here in these verses must instill in us the mindset of letting the grace of God do its work in our lives. Let God's grace work in your life. So having that, that theme, that challenge in our minds and hearts this morning, I want to give you three encouragements from this passage of Scripture that will help you to let the grace of God work in your life. The first one comes from verses 1 through 7, and, and I, t I, I just put it this way, use it. Use God's grace. He starts out in verse 1, For this re reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. You know several things, as we work through this passage, please note several things with me. The first one is that grace is an amazing thing to consider. Grace is an amazing thing to, to consider. Now Paul, if you know anything about Paul, he loves to do rabbit trails in his epistles. And this is one of them. So picture with me, Paul is writing the, these words 
And he starts writing chapter 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, and his mind just switches to another topic. You ever had that happen to yourself? You're, 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 you're going about your day, you're perhaps thinking of something else, you're perhaps doing something, and all of a sudden you find yourself doing something else. I know I do this a lot in my, at home. It probably drives my wife nuts that I will work on a project, and then all of a sudden I remember, oh yeah, i got to do this. And then I go off and do that, and then I'll come back to what was originally. Anybody else do this besides me? Aha, see, I knew it. Okay, so Paul does this. He goes on this rabbit trail. He, he, he's thinking about what he's just talked about in chapter 2, which is Christ being the cornerstone of the church, now Gentiles and Jews together. And so he writes verse 1, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, for you Gentiles. Oh, let me talk about this. I start, let, me, let me emphasize this. So that's what he does. He goes on this little rabbit trail. Uh, he intends to, what he intends to do is, if you jump down to verse 14, that's where he intends to go. Okay, verse 14 is where Verse 1 tends to go, but Paul has to go on this trail to get there. And perhaps, now this is speculation on my part, perhaps the, the mentioning of the word prisoner in verse 1 causes Paul to stop and think about where he is at. You know, the word prisoner here refers to one who has, no longer has freedom and cannot do what he desires. So perhaps Paul is thinking of his prisoner status as his current condition and that leads him to think about his life previous and how God has worked in that. It kind of leads me to ask, has you ever stopped to ponder the grace of God that has been shown to you? That's what Paul does here in verse 1. I mean, abstractly enough as it is, this is Paul stopping to ponder God's grace. And how often do you and I practice just stopping in the busyness of our lives and pondering how God has been gracious to us. I'll tell you what, that changes your heart and attitude, doesn't it? When you stop to consider what God has done for you, how God has been gracious to you, that leaves you in a better position than you previously were. And that's what Paul does. He stops and considers the amazing grace of God. And as he starts verse 2, he notes several things about this grace. He knows that God's grace has put Paul to, to work. Verse 2, If you indeed have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation He has made known to you, me the mystery. Through God's grace put Paul to work. The, the phrase, if indeed, really means if surely, or he's not questioning the fact that they have heard. But if they haven't, he mentions the grace of God that was given to him. And he uses the word here, dispensation. The word dispensation here means stewardship or management. Uh, it is the picture of a personal re person responsible for managing people or uh, things. And for Paul, the management, the stewardship, the responsibility that he's given is the grace of God, which was given to him to minister to the Gentiles. God was gracious to Paul in ordaining him to ministry, and Paul is responsible to take care of that grace given to him. So he's heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, gave him grace to be in his current position of ministry, even his current position of being in a prison. You also notice here that that phrase, which was given to me, the, the, the idea of that phrase is that Paul had nothing to do with the grace given to him. It was purely 
of God and it had a purpose and it was for the Gentiles, for you. So God graciously took Paul from a lost Jewish Pharisee to be a servant of God to the Gentiles. Paul also notes as well that God's grace revealed a mystery to Paul. And it's something he had already discussed. Notice verse 3, how that, I rep, that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. And then you got this little parenthesis in your Bible. It's this little this discussion, very brief discussion that Paul has about this mystery. As I've written to you briefly already, by which you, when you read, you may understand my knowledge into the mystery of Christ. So God revealed something to Paul. The word mystery means something concealed but now revealed. He made known it to him. He caused that information to be made known, so now he understands it. So you might ask, what, what is the mystery? I think Paul is referring to the mystery of chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, how the Gentiles, once estranged from God, are now part of his family through Christ. So that's, that's the mystery that Paul's talking about, how God has brought Jews and Gentiles together into one body. And halfway through verse 3 into verse 4, Paul, again in your Bibles, the translators have put parentheses around this, and, and that's intentional. Paul uses this little sideway to encourage the Ephesians to understand what the mystery is. And they want to understand his, his perception into it. And the, the mystery is Christ himself. So verse 3 really further is, is verse 3 and 4 go together in that the mystery is explained by means of that it is Christ himself. Christ is the mystery because no one else could do what he did in bringing Jews and Gentiles together in one body. You know, the Jews knew a Messiah was coming. They knew that something was going to happen, that kingdom was going to be restored, but they really had, just had the big picture. They didn't know all the details. And for them to consider the Gentiles we talked about a few weeks ago being brought together was just unfathomable to them. And, and so that mystery is made known that Christ did the work of bringing Jews and Gentiles together. Paul further explains the mystery by saying the mystery was revealed by God at the right time. Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, but has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So the mystery of the Jews and Gentiles being together, mystery of Christ, was remained hidden to the past, to Israel and the Old Testament. It was not fully revealed, but now it has been. It has been brought to light. And who was it revealed to? It was revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So Paul is writing here, apostles and prophets are still in play. The prophet being more of a, a proclaimer of truth. We might describe a little bit of his ministry like a pastor. It was revealed to them so that they could in turn proclaim it to others. So once was concealed back in the Old Testament, it wasn't revealed in other ages, now is revealed, notice, by the Spirit. So the presence of the Spirit, the use of the Spirit, is the agent by which this information was revealed. So the mystery of Christ is not something that Paul just came to haphazardly. It was revealed to him by the Spirit of God. God graciously putting him in that position so that he can not only absorb it, understand it, but that he could proclaim it to others. And what is this grace that God's, that Paul 
the mystery that God wants Paul to understand fully. It is that God's grace has made the Gentiles fellow partakers with the Jews in His promises. Notice verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the Gospel. So verse 6 is the content of the mystery. Christ is the mystery. The person of the mystery, if you will. Verse 6 is the content of the mystery. Notice these three different descriptions that Paul gives for Gentiles now that they are in Christ. They are, they are fellow heirs. The word here means inheriting together. It's, it's the idea of, uh, of the will is read and the heirs are listed. So in the, the, the eternal scheme of things, the Gentiles are part of that list. They are fellow heirs. Which is ironic because in chapter 2, verse 12, you jump back there. Notice what Paul says about the Gentiles before Christ. But that they, at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. They were not heirs. We were not heirs. We had no hope. They're also of the same body. Again, it's a word here that Paul uses uniquely. Only time used in the New Testament, the idea is to be one in the same. In the same body, together. Same unit, same organization. We're now one in the same. And then the Gentiles also are partakers of His promise. That word means to have a share or with one another in some possession or relationship. And I... the the, the best way that I came up with to illustrate this is when you cut a piece of pie or cake, the intention, I hope, as you're cutting it is to cut it equally so you can share it together. Now, we know there are people in this room who seek to gain a little bit of an advantage, myself included, in cutting a bigger piece for yourself. Okay? I'm not denying that. Okay? What I'm saying, you should cut equally so everybody has a share. Okay? That's why they developed these little pie. You ever seen these? You'll put them on there, these little pie cutters to guide your cuts. Because some of you, like myself, cannot cut very well. But you're supposed to cut so everybody has an equal share. That's the intention. Well, guess what? In Christ, you and I as Gentiles, we have an equal share with the Jews in God. There's not a, a 80-20 split. There's not 70-30. You know, this isn't a business negotiation where the Jews get more and we get, we get some but not enough. No, we're all equal sharers in God. And that is the mystery of Christ. That Christ did this, made us fellow heirs, partakers of His promise. We get equal share in it. The promise is found in Christ and is understood by the preaching of the gospel. The promise here refers to the promises that the Gentiles could not participate in. You know, we look at those in, in chapter 2, verse 12, but namely they are the Messiah, the promise of the Messiah, salvation, and the Holy Spirit. Those promises we as Gentiles now partake in, and that is made known by the preaching of the gospel. We don't get the physical promises, uh, the land. Uh, the, the cities that are promised to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, this is where uh, those of the Reformed faith would say that uh, the church becomes Israel because they 
They gain God's promises. Well, I would say, based upon the Old Testament, as well as different portions of the New Testament, Israel still has physical promises coming to her. So we as Gentiles do not partake in those physical promises, but we do have the spiritual promises that we partake of, and, and God was gracious in giving those to us. Notice also that Paul notes that he, he utilized God's grace to focus on proclaiming this mystery, of which I became a minister, verse 7, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. He writes the same thing in Colossians chapter 1, verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. So Paul uses this word become, became, to describe a new change in nature, indicating a new entry into a new position. Perhaps Paul is recalling the, his conversion on the road to Damascus as he's going there to bring Christians to jail and to kill some of them. What happens? A bright light shones, shines down in Acts chapter 9 and, and convinces him otherwise. And reveals that his call is to the Gentiles as, as Ananias is called to bring healing to him. God says to him in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So Paul has a shift. So Paul becomes, gives this new job, if you will, from God to become this minister to the Gentiles. And it was a gift of God's grace. According to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. The more than sufficient ability of God empowered Paul with grace to minister to the Gentiles. This is totally of God's grace. It was nothing that Paul did, but he took advantage of that, God, that grace of God and became that effective proclaimer of truth to the Gentiles. And that was God's power at work in him. And it leads me to ask this question this morning, are you using God's grace in your life and ministry? Are you taking advantage of the grace of God that is shown to you, whether it be He's been gracious to you in saving you, He's been gracious to you in giving a position in this church, whether it be a position of service, a leadership, or maybe just merely attending. Are you using God's grace in your life? Are you, just, are you, or are you misusing it? Or not using it at all? God has been gracious to you in your life and, and, and giving you life. Are you using it for His purposes, for His glory? Or are you wasting it? And I have to ask my question, myself that same question. God has been gracious to me and allowing me to be a pastor here and you've been gracious to me as well, but am I using that grace effectively or am I wasting it? Am I, am I using that grace that God has given me to, to prepare sermons, to make phone calls, to, to be able to minister to people in a different way, or am I just you know, skating by with a bare minimum? God was gracious to Paul, and Paul took advantage of that grace. And he used it in his life and his ministry. Are you and I doing the same thing? Are you gracious? Are you being gracious? Are you using God's grace, excuse me, in your job at home, employing it for God's glory? 
So if we're going to let the grace of God work in our lives, we've got to use it, okay? God's given it to us. We've got to use it. Secondly, we have to let it use you. Let it use you, verses 8 through 12. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Notice with me that humility is the attitude of God's grace requires. Paul has a less than stellar view of himself, and rightfully so. It seems to me that the word to me here is reflective. As, as Paul is thinking about God's grace, he is so overwhelmed with it that he cannot stop and think about how God has allowed him to serve in this way. That phrase, less than the least, means to be lowest in status. And I have no doubt that Paul is thinking of his pre-conversion days where he, he killed Christians, he threw them in prison, was ruthless in trying to stamp out the church. And one might imagine that, that stuck with him the rest of his life. He even notes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, where he says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now some of you might say, well, pastor, I'm not, I've never persecuted God's church and I've never been mean to anybody, but the need still remains for us to be humble, doesn't it? God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, right? And Paul basked in that grace because it was given to him. Again, Paul had no contribution to, to that status of being given grace. It was all of God. God was gracious in shining a light to Paul on the road to Damascus. He couldn't have done that. He could have chosen to let Paul go. But he chose to be gracious and stopped Paul in his tracks and gave him a new job to do. And so, as a result, Paul is humble. Also notice with me that God grace, God's grace used Paul to preach Christ to the Gentiles. So that's the result of God's grace to him. The, the humility that he's thinking about this, the grace was given to him so that purpose, I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The word preach here, simply proclaim the good news. And more importantly, the good news of salvation. Paul says here, the, the good news of salvation. That was what he was given. He was given the opportunity to proclaim that to the Gentiles. Which was unique when you think about it. Christ, Christ, when he came to this earth, primarily came to the Jews, right? But there were Gentiles who came along, obviously. But that was what he was there for. And the early church struggled with that because they, they had first gone to the Jews, but, but God used Paul to waken the church up, if you will, to realize that the Gentiles needed him as well. And it wasn't a matter of going through hoops and hurdles to get to him. No, they could receive the good news of salvation. And that's what Paul was given, the task. The word here, unsearchable, means, to be, it means inscrutable or incomprehensible. So Paul, in his preaching the gospel, is to preach the unsearchableness of Christ. When we think about it, it's kind of discouraging. Well, how, if he's unsearchable, how can we know him? Well, the idea here is that Christ is so unsearchable, we, just, we have more and more to consume. We have more and more to know. He is far more valuable than anything on earth. And to be able to be 
to understand him, even a, even a mere fraction of him, is to truly be rich. The unsearchable riches of Christ. I mean, think about that for a minute. I'm sure you've heard hundreds of sermons, thousands of sermons. You've been in church many times. As you've heard pastors preach and guest speakers preach, do you not realize we've barely scratched the surface? We have so much more to learn about Christ. And what He has to offer us is so more, much more valuable than this world has to offer do you see your Savior? Just thinking right now, do you see your Savior as valuable enough to learn about Him more and more and make that your sole focus? Paul was tasked with preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do we view Him in that way? That He is rich and we have the opportunity to learn and study Him more and more. Also note with me that God's grace through the Paul Reveal God's eternal plan. Verse 9, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which, is, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. So Paul was given this, this, this obligation to preach to the Gentiles, but also in doing that to make them see. That's the, the idea of the word make all see is to reveal, bring something to light. The mystery of Christ, Paul, is to reveal which God planned out from the beginning of time. Paul, who uses this beginning of time language before, we looked at it back in chapter 1, before the foundation of the word world, verse 4. God has been always planning and preparing for this moment, and it was purposely hidden by him. Which you note, from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God. The word hidden means to be kept from being known. So that's, that's where the mystery part comes in. So God kept his plan hidden until the perfect moment for his revelation. Aren't you thankful that God plans everything perfectly? God, God revealed it at the perfect time, perfect way, and it had its full effect. And also it wasn't just any God. It was the God who created all things through Christ Jesus. The God who created the world. The God who spoke the world in existence created this plan. Now the, the phrase through Christ, Jesus Christ, there, there's, there's some manuscripts that have it, there's some that are don't. The, the idea is still the same. That through Christ, as God created the world through Christ, he is the creator. He is the one who made it. He is the one who started, who planned it all. And Paul has the opportunity to preach that mystery to the Gentiles. So that the result of God's grace through Paul is God's wisdom is made known to heavenly powers. To the intent that the manifold, verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church of the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So the, the revelation, that's the idea of the word make known, is, is to be revealed the manifold wisdom of God. The word manifold means many or diverse, different application. God's wisdom has different applications. And so Paul in his preaching is proclaiming that so that we can proclaim that to the heavenly powers. 
The church is the agent of the application of this knowledge. She testifies of God's wisdom to these powers. And the powers specifically are the spiritual powers that exist today. And again, as you look at that, you you might think, that's kind of weird, Pastor. How, How are we proclaiming truth? How are we proclaiming the wisdom of God to spiritual forces? Well, I can't fully explain it, but when you, when you think about the spiritual battle we face, and we'll get to this at the end of Ephesians, we talk about warfare, spiritual warfare. In some way, as we proclaim God's wisdom to the world, we are also testifying it to spiritual powers, whether good or evil. And that's God's grace through Paul in making him a proclaimer of truth to the Gentiles. And God planned all this through Christ. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was planned out in eternity past to use Christ as the mystery, bringing the Gentiles and Jews together, and Paul proclaiming that truth to the world. It continually amazes me that Christ is the man that God has chosen to complete his plan. We notice that we've looked at it through so far in Ephesians. It's Christ, Christ, Christ. It's not Christ, then Paul, then the apostles. No, it's Christ, 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 Christ. And isn't that who we should be proclaiming to this world? Is Christ, Christ, Christ. Christ is the answer to everything. To the problems of our world, to the problems of our country. Christ is the answer. To, to the, the hope of the gospel, Christ is the answer. To the sorrow of the heart, Christ is the answer. It's all about him. The mystery of Christ enables confidence and access to God. So, so the eternal purpose of God, planning this mystery, revealing it to Paul, Paul reveals it to, to believers, to the world, We reflect that to spiritual power somehow. It's been planned in eternity past. That enables confidence and access to God. In whom, verse 12, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, puts this another way. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice who this confidence and boldness is in. It's in Christ. It's in Him. It's in Him alone. Notice that we have it. Present tense verb. Not we did have it. We could have it or potential we could have it. No, we have it now. We have access to God now. We have boldness now. We don't have to wish for it. We don't have to look for it. We have it now. And what is this boldness? The word boldness here means a state. I mean, I'm even reiterating, a state of confidence and boldness. You know, I, I officiate high school sports, and I've not been able to do that since moving up here, just with different things with COVID and such. But when I officiate a game, or any sports offici- official officiates a game, he or she has to have confidence that when they step onto the court, whether it be basketball, football, or lacrosse, or whatever sport it might be, hockey. They have to have confidence and be bold in knowing the rules so that when a foul occurs, when an error occurs, they can call it. 
There's nothing more discouraging than walking into a situation where you don't know the rules and having to guess. Because then you start second-guessing yourself and you lose your confidence and everybody sees it and they start picking on you. Believe me, I've been there as a sports official. But when you step on the court, when I step on the court, I I better have everything down because when I do, then I'm more bold, I'm more courageous, I am more confident because I know the rules so when a question comes up, I can answer it. That's the idea of the word boldness. The word access here means to have a way of approach, to have a way to get to. We have boldness and access with confidence. Paul doesn't want us to, to be left wondering what he's talking about, so he uses the word confidence. It means to have an assurance of an outcome. It means to walk into a situation and know what the outcome will be regardless of what you face. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great to face life like that? Walk in every situation you have in life and know how the outcome is going to be and know how you need to react to it. That would be great. I know, I know I would love that and being a dad. To walk into a situation every time with my kids and know how the outcome is going to be so I know how to react. Fortunately, that doesn't work all the time. But for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we have confident access to the Father. with a concrete expectation that we will not be turned away. Amen? I mean, you and I can walk before God and know that we will not be turned away. We can boldly go before Him. We do not have to cower in fear. We do not have to be afraid of our sin, even though we need need to deal with it. We can confidently go before God knowing that He will not turn us away. Isn't that a great feeling? To know that you can approach the God of all creation, the Father of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you and I can confidently go before His throne seeking, seeking His help, seeking His advice, and knowing that He will not turn us away. So it leads me to ask, just, just by way of a, a minor application, well, not a minor, but an application here, a question here. Are you being confident as you approach God? If we have, and we do, we have boldness, we have confidence, we have access, we don't have to go through a high priest anymore, we don't have to go once a year before a temple and sacrifice an animal, no, we have access to God now, we have boldness now, are you using that to approach Him? Even in your struggle, and I know I've struggled with this myself, when you're struggling with life, it's, it's really easy to go inside yourself and try to figure out, okay, I've got to deal with this. I'll find help within myself and move on. No. You have access to God now. You have boldness now. And whether you are struggling, whether you are doing great, whether you're doing not so great, use the access you have now. Run to God in your pain, in your sorrow, in your struggle. He will not turn you away. Run to Him. Don't be afraid to go to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our God and Father, and say, God, I am struggling today. I am mad. I am ticked off. God's not going to turn you away. He'll deal with you, He'll deal with your attitude. But he's not going to turn you away. Don't be afraid to go to God as well. And God, I'm hurting. I'm in sorrow. I'm in pain. I don't know how I'm going to get through. I'm so frustrated. 
he won't turn you away. He'll deal with you. He'll encourage you. He'll help you see the truth. So go to him. As, as I heard, I've heard uh, some people say, and someone encouraged me one time, run to him. If you need to physically run, as this is a way of getting you to run to him, then do it. But you have access to the Father. He won't turn you away. Faith in Christ is how this access is secured, Paul notes. The end of the verse 12, through faith in him. Because of our salvation, we have access to God. Those who do not believe, they do not have access. They can probably pray to him, but, they, but most likely the prayers are unheard because they have no connection to him. Because of our salvation, Jesus Christ, we have access to God. This leads me to ask this morning, are you letting God's grace use you? Yeah, you need to use God's grace in your life, take advantage of God's grace, but are you letting God's grace use you? As God has been gracious to you and putting you in a position here in this church, and God has been intentional in giving you that grace, are you letting God's grace use you? Whether it be to to clean up after service, whether it be to fellowship with someone after the service, are, is God's grace using you or are you resisting it? When God is prompting you to call someone on the phone, to just say hi and, and ask how they're doing, are you, letting, is, are you viewing that as an act of God's grace in your life so that He can use you for a purpose? Or are you resisting that? Say, no, God, I don't have time. I'll do it later. I'll do it tomorrow. Are we having an attitude of, of God's grace using us for his purposes? Paul did. God gave him grace to put him in the position he was in. And in doing so, he used that grace, but God used him in that grace. Lastly, this morning, and I forgot to put it on the screen. Yep, I forgot to put it on the screen. That is my fault. Last one you're going to have to write. Trust me and listen real hard. <laughs> Let God's grace comfort you. Use it. Let it use you. Let it comfort you. Verse 13. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. It seems that Paul is winding down his thought here. He's winding down his rabbit trail. As he's thinking of God's grace and how it was given him to be in this position, and he's used, God's grace is using him to proclaim truth, Paul is also reminded that he needs to encourage the Ephesians as well. He needs to encourage them, first of all, that God's grace comforts in difficult circumstances. That's why he says, well, therefore I ask that you do not lose heart and my tribulations for you. The word ask here means to... to uh, ask for with a claim on receipt for an answer. This, this means to request. So he's requesting this. And what's he requesting? He requested that they not lose heart. That word means to, to lose one's motivation in desiring a pattern of conduct or activity. It can refer to discouragement 
are losing enthusiasm. Whether well, they lost enthusiasm or because of Paul's tribulations, the word tribulations has to mean to distress. Perhaps as they're thinking about him being in prison, Paul therefore is, is asking them personally, don't worry about me, what I'm going through. Again, perhaps they're concerned about him. They, they know he's a prisoner. Things might not be going well for him, so they're worried about him. Paul's saying, don't worry about me. God has been gracious to me, and he's given me grace in these difficult circumstances. And then secondly, also from verse 13, we also see that God's grace is at work regardless of what it faces, which is your glory. The word glory here refers to honor. And here it is the honor of the believers positionally as the children of God's family. Paul's talking about, you know, don't worry about me. God's been gracious to me in this circumstance, and it is for your benefit. It is for your joy. So to sum up this, this phrase, I mean, it's, it's hard for us to, to hear someone say, being in prison, that they should rejoice over his situation, they, that their situ, his situation is for their glory, for their honor. Paul is saying here that the suffering, his suffering should not be produced distress in the Ephesians, but it is an opportunity to rejoice because of their position in Christ and the work that Paul has done in explaining that position to them. So if Paul had not been in prison, would he have written these things to them? I mean, supposedly he might have. But think about it. Paul's in prison. He writes this magnificent letter on the salvation that they have, what God has done for them in Christ. If Paul hadn't been in prison, this might not have been written. And so as a result, they are to glory, they are to rejoice that even though Paul is suffering, God has been gracious to him to allow him to write these things so they can understand their position in Christ and what a, what a position we have, what a position they have, and therefore they are to rejoice. Be happy for Paul that he's been able to do this and because of who they are, what, what he's been writing about. It leads me to ask this question. In the midst of trouble and pain, do you run to his grace for peace and comfort? When you're struggling, when you're hurt, when you're confused, do you run to him for peace and comfort? First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God's grace gives you peace and comfort, and for Paul in a prison, he let it comfort him even though he was going through difficult circumstances, cannot you and I do the same thing? When you're struggling at work, you don't know how you're going to make it through the day. When you are frustrated by a relationship in your family, you just don't know how you're going to make it work. When you're in pain from a physical ailment, run to His grace. That is where true comfort and peace are going to be found. And continue to do that. Continue to run to His grace. Continue to rely on His grace for those difficult moments. We all have testimonies of God's amazing grace that has worked mightily on our behalf.
we took the time this morning, and, and uh, I'm assuming we'd be here all day to testify of that grace. Yet the question remains today, will you keep letting the grace of God work in you? Will you keep letting His grace do that work in your life? How can you keep having that perspective? You use God's grace. You let it use you in life and in ministry. And you let it comfort you. So that at the end of your life, you can look back on your life and say with the author, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.